we met four years ago at Carabas. He was a busser, I was a host. And then we started dating, and then we got engaged last September on our three-year anniversary. Yeah, he was his deadline. He didn't know that, but in my head it was his deadline. <laughs> and he passed. And then we started planning the wedding. I wanted to do premarital counseling because I was a believer and Joe wasn't. It wasn't until there was a sermon we were talking about a believer and a non-believer being together. Pretty much the message was don't do it because it's gonna be way harder. And I kind of ran out of the church at that point and cried and I talked to my sister for a while. It started hitting me that holy crap, we were actually gonna get married and I was gonna be married to a non-believer. Whether or not it meant something to me at that point, to my faith, it would mean something later when I wouldn't have someone to pray to our kids with at night. And then it all just hit me, all the stuff you picture when you get married. At least as a believer, for me, those were the things that I wanted. And just tried to explain that I didn't think it was fair, that I was going to wish that you believed something I knew you didn't your whole life. I didn't want you to pretend for me. She realized how much I didn't believe and how much faith I didn't have. So that kind of was like a, a wake-up call to her because she was kind of like putting it on she was in denial a little bit about my beliefs. Yeah, we were in an argument after we met with you. She wanted me to like be more involved. In involved, and I was kind of just doing it to do it. I thought it was like a step to get by, and then after that, it was going to be fine. But she realized it wouldn't be fine afterwards, so she gave me the boot. And uh, <laughs> and I. Uh, had about like four days, three or four days of uh, one day I just woke up and uh, having a rough day and I went to work. I and somehow weaseled my way into getting off work early and I just went back and started. Uh, I read all through Mark. After I read through the whole thing, I started writing like all my thoughts down. I'm not the best talker, so found out that I can write my thoughts down and get them across a lot better. You wrote a whole notebook and you let me read it, and it was the most open I think you'd ever been with me in three and a half years before then. A lot of hate for prayer just because my, my bad things happened with my grandma, she had Alzheimer's, and I'd always pray. But I wasn't like praying like that she'd just be cured, I was just praying like she'd just ease into something better because she was pretty rough. And it was always stuck with me. It was always a burden on my chest. And um, like that was the first thing that like got lifted, like that whole thing. The anger kind of just left for a second. After the anger kind of left, then my, my mind was open to all the other things. And I think that was your biggest thing. You were just, yeah. it wasn't that you just, you didn't believe you were angry at God. Like there, you had a lot of anger in your heart. Well, you guys didn't waste any time. You got married at the end of May. And you found out you were going to have a baby, what, July? Yeah, end of June, early July. Uh, I decided to be baptized. So I just want to show her that I want to just put all of my past behind me, get rid of all the sin that I've done, and just come back and be just fully alive with Christ and her and our family. So this is something I've been thinking about for a while.
Well, good morning, and welcome to Mission View Church. We're glad to have you here this morning. My name is Evan Miller. I'm one of the deacons here at Mission View. Pastor Steve is out of town this morning, and it's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And we're continuing our series in the book of 1 Peter, and we've titled this series, The Outsiders. Because the first century Christians who were Peter's audience, they found themselves living as outsiders in their own land simply because they believed in the words of Jesus. So if you're following Jesus today, that resonates with you. That you, you can identify with that because you see the same parallel happening today in our lives. Christians look different from the rest of the world. There is a, this is a common and this is an expected result of what happens when you follow Jesus in any culture or any time period. You will be an outsider. So the purpose of 1 Peter is to encourage us as we live outsiders to stand firm and to stand straight in the faith with love. And sometimes this is easier said than done. It's easy to sit here this morning collectively together and say that we'll never be discouraged when the world hates us or when we are rejected by the world because of our faith. So Peter's reminding us that our identity is found in Christ, and he's reminding us to keep our focus on him because of the life he has for us now and the life that is to come in the future. So specifically speaking, in this life, if you are a Christ follower, you are called to be his representative on earth, meaning that what you say and what you do is a living display for everyone to see. And it's a, it's a living representation of what Christianity is, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. People should be able to look at our lives and to see that. So that's why the last few weeks, we've, we, we have focused on how to submit to authority. And Pastor Steve looked at how you submit as a member of society, how you respect the governing forces, everybody from police officers to the government. And last week, Pastor Bruce Rosa looked at how we submit to our employers. And this week, we are looking at how to submit in a marriage relationship. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to... I'll take a look this morning just uh, at first first couple verses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So, see, back when this passage was written, there was an explosion of gospel growth in the early church. The gospel's being preached. So in the early church, you have people who at one time, they were married, they were not Christians, they didn't know God, they weren't believers, they were both unbelievers, and both of them hear the message of the cross, they become Christians, their lives are changed, husband and wife together, believers. But then also you have the, the, uh, the, the opposite case. You have a case where maybe the wife believes, but the husband rejects Jesus. So what do you do with this? And Peter's concern is that he wants Christianity to remain credible. He doesn't want Christianity to be compromised. He doesn't want Christian women to come to faith and then to turn around and immediately divorce their husbands because it'll disrupt society and it'll discredit the gospel. So Peter sees this and he knows that not only will this happen in his time, but it's going to happen in the future. And he addresses this by telling wives to be subject to their husband, whether or not they are believers. So he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands 
so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the purpose of this command, the purpose of the wives submitting to their husbands is so that her conduct wins her husband to the faith. So if your husband's not a Christian, your conduct is, a mean, is, is the means of witnessing to him so he could come to know Jesus. If your husband is a Christian, then your conduct is a way to encourage and to challenge him to be more like Jesus more and more every day. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not married, this passage has meaning to you also. You can see the power, the power that is behind a life that is lived for Jesus in an unbelieving world. So ladies, win souls to the kingdom with your conduct. This is hard. This is difficult. This takes patience. This takes submissiveness. And boy, we hate, we hate being subject to someone else. Sometimes the wife will be tempted to try to win arguments with her husband with her words alone, and maybe the wife is badgering and complaining, just trying to persuade her husband to come to Jesus and to turn from his lifestyle, but Peter says there's a better way, and actually it's the best way because it's God's way. And people hear this passage and and they see, be subject to your own husbands, and they get caught up, they get hung up in that, oh, time time to close the Bible. Well, this means that the wife is a second-class citizen. This means she's like a servant. This means she's treated lesser than a man. And actually, the, the scriptures aren't talking about that. It's not saying that. I mean, look at the example of the Trinity. God is three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person has a different role. God the Father is the source of creation, the source of salvation, the source of divine revelation. God the Son or Jesus is the Father's agent. And it is through Jesus that God the Son does his workings through. And then we have the Holy Spirit, who is the means by whom the Father does the work. The Father does his work through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thinking through this, looking at the Trinity, we would never say that Jesus was subjugated. We would never say that Jesus got the short end of the stick because he submitted to the Father's will. And nor would we say that the Son was less than God than the Father was. But within the Trinity, that's the role that the Son has. That's Jesus' role, to submit, to obey God the Father. And the role that the Spirit has is to glorify the Father. Yet each person of the Trinity has a separate role. And, all of, and it, it's 100% God. So then there's the connection between Jesus and us. And we submit to Jesus. We follow Jesus. And we don't feel slighted for having to submit to Jesus. Because we know that he has saved us. And how much he loves us and sacrificially has given to us. So... Men and women, men and women are no different. Men and women have different roles. They are created equal, but they have remain equal worth in the eyes of God. So another thing to consider is the creation account. You look at the creation account and how it builds up towards the end, and God is really saving the best for last here. So, you know, it's, it's, no, create, it's no coincidence that in chapter one, it's the people that God creates last. It's no coincidence. He does that on purpose because he's showing that there's order in his creation. There is a created order. 
So then man comes in chapter one, man is made in the image of God, but then in chapter two we learn that Eve comes after Adam. So Eve is actually the total climax of the creation account. Everything is leaning towards her. Adam affirms this in the first words that he says to Eve. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's saying, finally, finally, here at last is my counterpart which is incredible because keep in mind after he has had time to study the natural world and all of God's creation, the way that God intended it to be, sin is not on the scene and this is how he responds to meeting woman for the very first time. The creation story couldn't have ended without the creation of woman. So these are some ways to show how the Bible honors women and to simply support and to show that God created woman in a certain way. And when we try to live in ways that are contrary to how God created it, that's where we get into trouble. That's how sin entered the world. And right there, that's where the idea of ordering is important. God didn't just create the world in one fell swoop. There was an order, a created order. He created Adam first, Eve second. Eve is not worse. She's not second class. And in fact, she is the climax of that creation account. So let's zoom in on verses one and two. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the focus here is winning him to the faith with her conduct. So I'm I'm picturing this situation I'm picturing the situation. You have women coming to Jesus. Some of their husbands are not believers. The Christian wives are going to Bible studies. They're going to church gatherings, and they're seen without their husbands. And see, once you have your eyes opened by Jesus, you can't imagine living any other way. Am I right? You just, you can't imagine. You can't imagine pledging allegiance to any other God. So Jesus is your everything. He is your friend. He is your master. He's your savior, and he's your king. So, and she goes home from these church gatherings, from these gatherings with unbelievers, and she sees her husband. I don't know what he's doing, sitting on the couch, eating potato chips. I don't know what they did back then, just being, just hanging out. But he's not serving God. And, and, and he doesn't follow the same God she does. And in this passage, some of the ladies in this passage, they have husbands that have about as much excitement for Jesus as a five-year-old does for the word broccoli. He doesn't like Jesus. He's not excited about Jesus. He's not focused on Jesus. He just doesn't care. So the temptation for Christian women is to try to do whatever she can to get her way and to get her husband to follow Jesus. So she may be tempted to maybe openly quote scripture at him, look down on his lifestyle and call it filthy, play Christian music around the house so he will hear it. Maybe she'll purposely write Bible verses in places that he will see them. Maybe the temptation for her is to try to argue him into the faith. And sometimes as Christians, when we interact with non-Christians, I think we're tempted to win people with the faith, to the faith by our, our, our words alone and not rely on God's spirit to move in their life. And man, we do this in strange ways. We do this in strange ways. I, I had a friend in high school once. Uh, she was a Christian. Her dad was an atheist. And what she would do is she would sneak into her dad's car in the evening, put a DC Talk CD in the stereo so that when he would go out in the morning and get ready to go to work and turn the car on, Jesus' music coming through the speakers. So remember, it is, it, is our, it is our lifestyle that proves that our words are true. 
So Peter is talking about respectful and pure conduct of the wife. Her respectful conduct is not just respectful towards her husband, but respectful towards God. He wants, a relation, he wants her to have a relationship with her husband that flows from her relationship with God. So she submits to God. It starts at the top by loving God. Then it flows down to loving her husband and then flows to loving her whole family. He's commanding women to be respectful to their husbands even when they are not worthy of respect. He's asking them to show grace to their husbands even when they act like idiots. And that doesn't seem fair because it's not fair. It's not fair. This is a portrait of grace. Grace isn't fair. And still, people look at this passage and say, well, that, that still looks like uh, she's, she's second class. But it's not, not true. This is actually radical living. This is rebellious living. See, back then, if you were a woman and you were alive in Peter's day, you were expected to follow the gods of your husband. See, back then, ladies, you didn't have a say. The man had the final say. Men treated women less than equals. They were, they were second-class citizens back then. Men had full control to divorce their wife on any issue they wanted to. Women didn't have a choice or an option. But then Jesus comes on the scene and calls them to repentance, and their life is changed forever. And Jesus says, no longer will you have to follow the God or gods of your husband. That is over. That's done. It is finished I'm redeeming you from that. You are free, but don't you walk away from your marriage and leave your husband in the dust. Because remember, it was me that invented marriage. Jesus is saying, you must show respect to your husband and love your husband and be patient with your husband the same way that I was patient with you when you had doubts. You must show him grace the same way I showed you grace. So don't waste this, lady. Stand firm, be gentle, show grace. And this passage, this doesn't address every situation for wives involved in difficult marriages. This doesn't tell us what to do in the case where a husband is maybe abusive or unfaithful. Those are difficult cases. Those are not handled from the pulpit. Those are handled through, through careful counseling. This passage doesn't address that, but what it does address is common situations that most wives will find themselves in where their husbands are not believers so next we see the president of this command. The president of this command is God's standard of beauty. God's standard of beauty. So we see this in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So women are obviously, they're, they're wired differently than men in this area, in the area of, we're talking about beauty. Last summer I went to Chicago for work and my wife was with me and um, we had some time to go shopping and there were all these malls there and it's amazing, these malls in Chicago, they have multiple levels and uh, this is not an exciting situation for me in case you're wondering. The stores are large and small and in the middle of the mall you're walking to the next store and they have these little kiosks and they're trying to sell you things as you walk from store to store and that's, that's, that's just annoying to me. And um, you, you look at all these things, all these stores that they have and 98% of the stores are for women and like three of the stores are for men. And um, yeah, uh, it, it's disappointing. One of those three stores is, is not a Home Depot, which was a disappointment because Home Depot's awesome. But, but see, this is how women are wired. They're wired for beauty. 
God created them to be beautiful and lovely. And women back then displayed their beauty the same way that our culture does, through clothing, through hairstyle and jewelry. I mean, dudes are different. I mean, I buy the majority of my clothes from Sam's Club, and I'm not afraid to admit it. (laughs) What I have on today, this wasn't my idea. This was my wife's. She does good. I buy 20 shirts a year, and they're three different colors. Blue, black, and light blue. All from Sam's Club. That's where I get everything from, and I, I love it, and it's totally awesome. But, um, but yeah, women are wired different. So, so we know that there's nothing wrong with hairstyles. We know there's nothing wrong with jewelry. We know there's nothing wrong with gold or with clothes. Peter's not forbidding these accessories. He's saying that, that he, he's, not, he's not telling people, try to dress as ugly as you possibly can, sell your jewelry, buzz your hair, put on sweatpants. He's not saying that at all. These things are accessories for your life. Don't let the accessories become the main attraction. The key words here are do not let your adorning be external. So do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, and the clothing that you wear. And look at verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The Bible defines true beauty as having a gentle and quiet spirit. What does that look like? What does a lady of true beauty look like in this passage? Well, for one, it's not about what she wears. This morning, we aren't looking at a a checklist of things that you have to, to follow, to wear, a way to dress. It's all about the heart. It's not about the hairdos. It's about the heart. It begins with her heart being fixed on the cross of Christ. Her eyes are focused on God's perfect promises. Her mind is saturated with the gospel. She stands firm on the promises of God's word. So while the retail world is changing product lines as often as the seasons come and go, she stands strong while others search for meaning in the racks at clothing stores. She is calm because she knows her peace is not found in plastic surgery, nor is her comfort found in cosmetics. She is free because her heart has been changed by Jesus. The fruits of the Spirit are on full display in her life. This internal adornment that the Scriptures speak of is made known in her life so that everyone she sees, everyone she comes in contact with, can see this. Kindness overflows from her heart. Deep joy is evident in her lips as she smiles. It flows from her heart. Her love for others comes out in a hug. The patience of Jesus flows from within her when she is with her children, and it comes out in gentleness. The inner beauty within her is an endless spring in her heart that overflows in everyday conversations. The Bible calls this beauty imperishable. The Bible calls this beauty unfading. It doesn't spoil. It is timeless. There's no expiration date. She is beautiful, and it's not her clothing that makes her beautiful, but it is Jesus who makes her beautiful. Her confidence is in Christ, not clothes. Her mind is set on Jesus over jewelry. She clings to her God instead of gold. And her, her story, her life, may never be noticed by Hollywood. She'll never be chased by the paparazzi. She'll never make the cover of Glamour magazine. But she has captured the attention and the approval of God. 
God speaks highly of this kind of beauty. Women who set their hearts on Jesus possess an imperishable beauty that God calls precious. God calls this precious because it points people to Jesus. This type of beauty changes history as it influences sinners to become saints. This type of beauty is precious to God because it reflects Jesus' very nature. And God considers this type of beauty powerful. Powerful because this type of beauty isn't reliant on your feelings, and that's powerful because even when you don't feel beautiful, you are beautiful. This type of beauty is powerful because this type of beauty can win unbelievers to Jesus. So the pattern of this command, the pattern of this command was set by holy women in Scripture. We see the pattern here. This is... uh, this is verse, like verse five is what we're looking at here. So this, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to ordain themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So again, this is, this is, the, this is a pattern that has been set by, by God It's not a cultural thing. This is why Peter is pointing back in time almost 2,000 years. That's when Sarah lived. So this wasn't a modern-day example. When he's talking to the church, when he's talking to the early church, he's not pointing to somebody modern-day, but he's pointing to somebody 2,000 years ago that they would know and understand. And it's the same thing for us today. Had it been a cultural issue, Peter would have pointed to somebody who was living among them right now. Be like this lady right now. So ladies, this morning, is your beauty found in Jesus? Search your heart, search your motives. What is your heart set on? Where's your focus? So that's God's plan for wives. That's God addressing wives in 1 Peter through Peter. And now it's time for the men. Men, verse seven. Verse seven is small. Verse 7 is small, but it's jam-packed. It's going to poke you in the eyes. Are you ready, men? (laughs) Somebody just said bring it. (laughs) Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, so verse seven, guys, the duties of a husband. Be understanding to your wife. Be understanding to your wife. And we do this by living with our wives in an understanding way. That's what verse seven says, living with your wives in an understanding way. Now, so if, when you read that on the onset, it might not make sense. You're like, what does that mean? But if you, if you translate this verse, if you look at what, it, what it's saying um, in the Greek, it, it's literally saying to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. So the, according to the knowledge means two things according to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of your wife. So live with her according to the knowledge of God and according to the knowledge of your wife. So you have to start with God. Men, you need to take your walk with God seriously. Does God lead your steps? Is God your focus? Do you read his word? Do you lead your family as a result of what you've read in God's word? 
Are you guided by his Holy Spirit? And if you are, it'll be evident in your life and in your wife and in your children. So who do you serve? Is it the God of the scriptures or the God of your career or the God of Sports Center? Who is it? Who do you serve? So you need to know about the one true God and you need to read his word because we learn about how we should treat our wives and raise our families when we read the Bible. So when I read the Bible, I see that I love my wife because God first loved me. I sacrifice for my wife because Jesus sacrificed his life for me. I work hard and provide for my wife because Jesus has provided for me. And I see how God treats women in scripture and I treat my wife with that same kindness. So in order for us to live with your wife in an understanding way, first you need, to, you need to have a knowledge of God, and then second, a knowledge of your wife. A knowledge of your wife. Know your wife. Know what makes her tick. Know her emotions. See what her dreams are, what her goals are. I, I, I'm very different from my wife. I remember a time when we were dating before we were married, and we both knew we were an item. And we'd start to plan our, our days together. And I remember it just being the, the, the funniest thing because I'm always like fifth gear, full throttle. I'm, I'm, I'm nuts. Like I'm always trying to do a million things at one time. I can never sit still. And back when we were dating, I worked full time for a software company and I was a volunteer youth pastor for a ministry with about 30 students. And, and, and I had a website design business on the side. My favorite TV show was Cops and 24. That's how I relaxed in the evening, watching police officers run around and catch bad guys and watching Jack Bauer save the world from terrorists. That's how I relaxed. That's what I did. I mean, even to this day, I, I, I'm, not ser I'm serious about this. I, I have a dash cam in my car. I, I am wired that way. I can't sit still. I need to know everything. I need to be doing like a million things. It's hard for me to relax. So one day, my wife and I, we were dating, again, before we were married, and, and, and um, we didn't have anything planned, so I said to her, so, you know, what do you, what do you want to do tonight? And she said, well, let's, uh, let's go for a walk. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, I love walking. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, what, what, what else? What else, you know, do you want to do? And she's like, well, maybe we can go for coffee afterwards and uh, talk. I'm like, okay, so go for a walk, get coffee. That'll take me about 15 minutes. Like, we have plenty of time here. What, what is the deal? Something doesn't seem right here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, we could, we could kill like three birds with one stone here. Let's go to the coffee shop, go for a walk, and we can talk. Get it all done in about 15 minutes, 30 minutes at the most. There's tons of things we can get done. But that's my wife's heart. She is gentle. She is peaceful. She enjoys spending time unwinding uh, in the evenings and on the weekend. And it took me forever to figure this out about her. So husband, save yourself some pain. Learn your wife. And the best part about that is she challenged me not to do a million things at one time. She challenged me to be still, to be peaceful, and know that God is God and I am not. So show your wife love, figure her out, show her appreciation. And husbands, don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. I like what Josh said earlier, you can, you can tell what you value by how you spend your time, talent, and treasure. So give her your time, share your talents with her, serve her with your talents, and treasure her, spend your treasure on her as well. 
One time I heard a lady say, my husband's so tight with his wallet, he squeaks when he walks, and if he ever opened it, it would take the jaws of life. Don't be like that guy. Don't be that guy. Be generous. Be intentional. So verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Whoa. As the weaker vessel. That's like a speed bump here this morning. That's a speed bump as we read through the text. The Bible just called women weaker vessels. But there, there's something to remember when, when we look at this, this text here. Yeah, it says weaker. But the thing to remember is both vessels are weak. One is stronger than the other. Heard of a pastor one time referring to this passage. He referred to women being like crystal wine glasses, men being like thermoses. I think it's a great illustration. Crystal glasses are beautiful. They naturally sparkle in the light. This one has flowers on it. It has a stem. Both vessels are weak. Crystal glasses appear on linen tablecloths. They're often surrounded by candles, fine dining, classical music. People are dressed up. It's exciting. But men are like thermoses. Thermoses, tough, rugged. They can be dropped. I mean, I can chuck this thing from here to the balcony. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. Wouldn't skip a beat with this thermos. You, it's, it, it would be fine. Thermoses have a high tolerance for heat. A wine glass could crack under the pressure. Thermoses can store things for a long time and keep them warm. Both of equal value. Both have, have a little bit different function. But God values both. I mean, some of the things that go into wine glasses, fancy wines that have been aged, sometimes for years to get the right flavor on your tongue. What goes into a thermos? Instant coffee? Instant tea, Raymond noodles, <laughs> baked beans. You can put, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the same. So it's like when, when you look at a dude and then you look at a lady, you can tell who God created to be beautiful, lovely, and delicate. And then you can tell who God created to be the tough and, and rugged protector. That's why when my wife and I are out for dinner at a restaurant and it's pouring down rain and the, and the meal's over and we're just leaving, we've paid the bill, I've never looked at my wife in a situation where it's pouring down rain outside and just think, yeah, you know, hey, baby, I really don't feel like pulling the car around. You want to go get it for me and just, just pull it around? I got my hair done at, at Great Clips. They did great. Don't want to mess it up. <laughs> I've never found myself in the evening sitting in the living room and you hear a knock at the door and it's dark outside and I say, ah, Jamie, I don't, I don't feel like getting that. You know, it's probably some trick-or-treaters are lost. Why don't you go ahead and answer it? I have never been in, in bed in the evening and when my wife hears a noise and wakes me up, 10 times out of 10, I will go down and figure out what's going on. I've never said, hey, baby, grab the baseball bat. Why don't you go try, see what's going on? Never done that. The thought has never crossed my mind. So men, we need to be mindful of that. We need to protect our wives and care for them as they are delicate. And second of all, both vessels have equal rights. So again, the idea of God, of the scriptures referring to men and women being, the women being the weaker vessel. Both vessels have equal rights, equal level of spiritual responsibilities. That's why Peter follows this passage up, this section up by saying, because they are heirs. They are heirs with you. Get that? Equal heirs. They are co-heirs. They are co-heirs with Jesus. They share the same salvation. Everything that men inherit, women inherit too. They're standing in the same line. 
So don't think, men, don't think for one second because you are stronger. Don't think that that means you are better. Just because you are bigger in stature or physically stronger, don't think that you can bully her or belittle her or abuse her or intimidate her. Don't you dare crush her spirit. Don't you dare intimidate her. Don't you dare cause her to stumble spiritually. Love her, cherish her, protect her, defend her, help her and lead her. And when you get home from work, don't spend all your time in front of the TV. Shut down your phone. Let go of your emails. They'll be there in the morning. Give her your time. And do not cause your wife, a beautiful daughter of God, to stumble. Amen. The scriptures say, if you do this, if you cause God's daughters to stumble, he will not sit quietly on the sidelines and watch. He will take action. Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, if anyone causes one of my little ones, one of my little children to stumble, it would actually be better off for you to be at the bottom of the sea with a giant millstone wrapped around your neck. And in this passage, Peter ends with a similar chilling warning to men. Men, look at the end of verse 7. Let's just read it all together. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Did you get that? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Live with them. Show them grace. And live with them in an understanding way. Show her respect. Treat her right. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Peter's saying if you don't serve your wife, if you don't treat her like a child of God, if you fail to take care of her, God will stop serving you. And oh, you'll, you'll pray, but God won't hear you. You'll pray, but he won't listen. You may be a spiritual person. You may even be a Christian when you pray, but God will not listen. So men, be careful. Care for your wives. As we close today, today's been practical, very practical. This is, is easy, easy to read this, 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 this message here. It's practically uh, it's straightforward. There's a practical pattern for us to follow. And at Mission View, we believe that God takes marriage seriously because he invented it. It was his idea. And we believe that gender roles, they matter because it points to something bigger in Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul tells husbands and wives all, all the same exact message that we've looked at here this morning. There's no difference. But in his explanation, he tells husbands to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. Jesus is the ultimate husband, the perfect man. And marriage is all about Jesus. Weddings are all about Jesus. And as we close today, I want to ask you, are you ready for the ultimate wedding that's about to take place between Jesus and his church? This is a date that's real. It's a date that's on God's calendar. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return soon and the ultimate wedding is going to happen at the return of Jesus. The Bible says that only those who wear white robes of righteousness will be invited to the wedding feast. And I remember hearing that before I was a Christian thinking, man, that's terrible news because I do not have the righteousness that I need to attend this wedding. I'm not a good person. We've all done bad things. We've thought bad things. But see, this is the beauty of Jesus and his kindness towards us. Jesus lived obediently. His life was perfect. And when he went to that cross, his body was crushed on our behalf. 
And a transaction takes place when you trust him. The transaction is this. When you give your life to Jesus, God removes the sin from our lives and he places it on Jesus as if Jesus had committed the sin and God cancels out the sin in our lives and then God gives us that robe of righteousness. It wasn't earned by us, it was earned by Jesus. And he gives us that so we could join in this ultimate wedding feast and be clothed in righteousness. And we become righteous in God's sight, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. We can't be righteous on our own. We can't earn a righteous robe. We need to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So to those who choose Jesus in this life, they will have that wedding day to look forward to and ultimately spend eternity in heaven because of the good news that Jesus has given us. Heard a quote this week. Those who choose to marry the spirit of this age will be widows in the next. Don't miss out on this. Has he clothed you in righteousness so that you can appear at this wedding? He's calling you this morning to come home and to be clothed in righteousness. Jesus stands ready to save you and to be clothed in righteousness for the wedding feast. All you need to do is cry out to him today and he will save you. And if you don't know Jesus, Jesus says this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. So don't try it on your own. Don't try it on your own. Come home. Come home. Jesus has done the work for you. Will you take him at his word? He will draw near to you if you draw near to him. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you that it is practical, that we can follow it, that it's relevant to our lives today, just as it was when it was spoken in Peter's day. Lord, we know when we look around us this morning, we know this week has been heavy. Terrorist attack in France. We see, the, the, we see earthquakes in Japan. We see difficulties in relationships. We, in this week in Indiana, we saw a, a woman killed, a pastor's wife, as she tried to care for her family at her home. We know this world is broken. Lord, Lord let us look to you. Let us look forward to that, that wedding feast where you return and you make all things right and you repair this world. Lord, we look forward to that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to give us that righteous robe. And I pray that if we're not found in him today or if we're not sure that we will come close to you. And in Jesus' name, amen.